invite you to turn in your pew Bibles, or your own Bibles, to Matthew 18. We're actually just going to uh, read Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6. Uh, This is a New Testament commentary on Psalm 131. That'll be our sermon text, and uh, you'll see the theme of, of children in God's providence today. Matthew 18, uh, beginning with verse 1. Hear the word of God. And that's on page 823 of your pew Bibles. Page 823. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child... He put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but... Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, we thank you for your gift of life for, for children. Lord, we thank you for your gift of spiritual life, new life, eternal life that comes by grace through faith in Christ. Lord, we praise you as well for the gift of your word, your Holy Spirit, that not only comforts us, convicts us of sin, calls us to a closer walk of faith with Christ day by day. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit be at work in each of our hearts, um, even now, as we study your word together. Uh, We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn there to Psalm 131. Keep that open, page 519. Uh, This is our 12th pilgrim psalm one of the shorter ones along as you'll see with psalm 133 only three verses and uh, to let you know it it's a challenge to preach uh, on a three verse psalm but imagine the challenge of preaching on psalm 119 176 verses Uh, So why study uh, this brief and beautiful psalm together on this Lord's Day? Uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote this about Psalm 131. It's one of the shortest, shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. One of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. Think of it like a, a, a postcard picture 
or painting. You know, some artists have great canvases, you know, but, but others just paint those small, beautiful pictures. And, and this is a, a postcard painting, you know, given to us uh, by the Lord himself to help us learn about holy contentment. We don't see that word contentment in our in the version of the Bible, the ESV, but you know the the rendering of Psalm 113 that we just sang. It had that word, with childlike trust, O Lord, and you I calmly rest, contented as a little child upon its mother's breast. I believe this psalm teaches us about contentment, Christian contentment. Another Bible scholar said this, Psalm 139 is a psalm of final contentment with the Lord, with all attention fixed on him. You know, we live, as you well know, in a sin-fallen world filled with discontentment, despair, discouragement. And it's vital for for all of us as believers, those trusting in Christ, for us to learn about holy contentment in Christ. And here in Psalm 131, believe the Lord teaches us that, that every Christian should learn to find their holy contentment in Christ alone. You know, how can we learn to find our holy contentment in Christ alone? Three verses, three points. Verse 1, a holy humility. Verse 2, a holy hardships. And finally, verse 3, a holy hope. Let's begin with learning holy humility. Contentment calls for holy humility. If you look at the the opening there, you'll note this this is the psalm of David. There's four psalms of David in the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, We've looked at two of them already, 122, 122, 124, now 131, one more in Psalm 133. You know, the first verse incorporates words like... uh, My heart is not lifted up or proud. My eyes are not raised to high, haughty, or or lofty. You know, why would David be saying that? You know, but think for a minute about uh, David's life. You know, David was that simple shepherd boy who triumphed over that savage warrior, Goliath. And he had older brothers. I'm sure he was tempted to tell his older brothers, hey, look what I did. You didn't do it. He was the youngest son as well, who was enthroned as a king. Samuel passed by everyone else and said, no, it's David who will be as God's choice for king. You know, David had a trophy wife in Abigail. You know, I believe this this psalm, you know, was written by David later in life. Possibly even, if you study David's life, possibly 
after his sin of taking a census. Uh, there in Second Samuel 24, he, he got a little bit proud, said, let's see how many warriors we can raise up. They took a census, and God punished David. Uh, he punished the nation because of David's sin. 70,000 people died in, in a few days. You know, but then, as you read the rest of the story, David uh, bought and built an altar on the threshing floor, of Ereuna, the plague was averted. And so David now, at, as an older man, is reflecting on his life. His need for humility. His need for contentment in the Lord. And so with that in mind, you know, look at the first phrase, O Lord, Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God. You know, we see that title for God, for Lord, used throughout the Psalms of Ascent. Don't, don't ever race past it, reflect upon it. Oh, Lord. And again, it's personal. My heart is not lifted up. You know, in humility here, David reveals, honestly reveals, that his heart is not proud. If you read through the book of Proverbs, it's striking how much it talks about the sin of pride, the need for humility. Uh, But just to give you one verse, Proverbs 16.5, Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant or proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. You know, that, that sin of pride, not only in David, but as you go through Scripture, believe there was pride in Adam and Eve's heart. They knew better than God about eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, when even Peter, you know, the apostle Peter, you know, Lord, even if everyone else denies you, I will not deny you. And you know the rest of the gospel account. You know, when you and I sense that sin of unholy pride is beginning to sprout, you know, like a weed from the soil of our hearts, you know, we must be swift to ask the Lord to pull it up by the roots, you know, not just pull off the leaves. My father used to teach me that about dandelions. Make sure you get down to the root and pull it all up. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up, you know, the inner part. And then he says, my eyes are are not raised too high. My eyes are not lofty. You know, in sinful pride, you know, we look down, you know, at at the commoners surrounding us. You know, Psalm 18, verse 27, Psalm 18, 27. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. You know, have you ever been talking with someone like that? Maybe even a brother or sister in Christ, and they're looking at you, and you know they're looking down at you. For whatever reason. You don't make the kind of money they make. You don't live in the same part of town that they do. 
You don't know as much about the Bible that they think they do. You know, but lofty eyes, you know, it's a sin. You know, think of the proud Pharisee. We talked about it last Sunday, praying in the temple. You know, believe he was looking down at the tax collector. And where was the tax collector? You know, his eyes were on the ground. You know, he knew he was unworthy. He knew he was a sinner crying out to the Lord. And just to take it one step further, you know, Proverbs 6, 16 through 17, Proverbs 6, lest we think, well, that's just a a character flaw. I'll learn to, uh, I'll try not to do it. Proverbs 6, 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And what's the first thing? Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And it goes on from there. You know, my eyes are not raised too high. And then finally there, still thinking about holy humility, you know, I do not occupy, I do not dwell, I do not continually, you know, walk about with, with these thoughts on my mind, things that are too great and too marvelous for me. You know, what, what's taking place here? I believe, uh, to paraphrase it, uh, David here, the psalmist, I humbly seek not to fret or grow frustrated by worldly concerns that my sovereign God wisely controls for my good. In faith, I believe that the secret things belong to God. You know, that's from Deuteronomy. You see it also in the book of Job, at the very end of the book of Job. You know, these secret things, these, these things about God's providence, God's purposes and plans, are purposely, purposefully concealed from us. You know, for for our good, so that we would be humble, so that we would be dependent upon him in in prayer. Jim Boyce put it this way, but David had learned to subdue pride, which is what he claims in verse 1. You know, again, think about scriptural examples of those who were proud and sinful people. You know, begins with Lucifer, the fallen angel, cast out of heaven for pride. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be God. Isaiah 14, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, there in the book of Daniel, he had pride over, over the, the Babylon, you know, and, and the Lord painfully humbled him. Daniel chapter 4, and then in the next chapter, King Belshazzar, he didn't learn from King Nebuchadnezzar, not a king of Israel, but he praised the gods of silver and gold. They were drinking out of the temple vessels. The Lord struck, struck him dead. You know, New Testament, Herod, Acts chapter 12, didn't give God the glory. He wanted the glory. And, and again, God struck him down. 
or, or the disciples, Matthew 18, that, that portion that we read today, you know, the, the disciples were wondering, you know, who's the greatest? You know, and I'm sure they were waiting for Jesus to say, oh, you're the greatest. So glad you're my disciples. And, and what did Jesus do? He, he humbled them. He, he took a little child. Here again, verse 4, and he said, Whoever humbles himself, herself, like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, listen to what C.S. Lewis said about pride, mere Christianity. For pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. You cannot be proud and content as a Christian. Contradictory. Spiritual pride starts small, too. Sort of like kudzu. Spreads quickly. Like cancer infects every part of the body left unchecked. You know, that that discontentment. You know, so what are the takeaways here? Verse 1, a proud person will never find true contentment. Contentment calls Christians to a holy humility before the Lord. We, We acknowledge, humbly acknowledge, You know, we're we're sinners, sinners saved by grace through faith. God is a great and a gracious, a a glorious God. Contentment calls for holy humility. So learning holy humility, humility, I'll get it out. Secondly, um, learning holy hardship there in in verse 2. A a great verse takes... um, you know, pay close attention to God's word here. Keep your Bibles open. Uh, David here, the psalmist, again, personally, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. You know, I, I've composed my soul. Lord, you know, it speaks of the, the truth that he's discontent. You know, can't sleep at night, goes through the day and uh, just uh, grumbling and complaining. You know, nothing pleases him. And, and what does he say here? I, I have calmed, composed my soul. I've stilled the restlessness of my discontent discontented soul. Not not that he's pulled himself up by his own bootstraps, but, you know, keep in mind verse 1. You know, that, that holy humility before the Lord. You know, but discontentment in David's life and my life, your life, you know, what causes discontentment? Um, worries about tomorrow. You know, what will the stock market do? What will happen in politics, sports, school? Anxieties about God's providence and provision. You know, we, we doubt God's gracious promises for us. 
You know, we, we get unduly anxious, worried, concerned about children, about careers, about cash, about our community. You know, and David said, I have calmed my soul. How does that come about? I have disciplined my soul. I believe it speaks of, of that fruit of the Holy Spirit, self-control. You know, those, those thoughts of discontentment, that temptation to be sinfully discontented, not just with my circumstances, but with God himself. I have calmed, I have quieted, you know, those voices, thoughts that keep us awake at night, cause our stomachs to churn, you know, there's a holy hush. No grumbling, no discontentment. And where does he say, look closely, I've calmed and quieted my soul. Right at the very core of his being. The circumstances are, are still raging around him. You know, but, but by God's grace, you know, the Lord has given him that, that strength, that guidance to calm and, and quiet his soul. You know, think of the Sea of Galilee. You know, Jesus and the disciples are out in the boat. The, the winds are, are raging, gale forth winds. Even on that small Sea of Galilee, the, the, the waves are, are raging. They think they're going to drown and die. And what does Jesus do? Just a couple words. Peace. Be still. He wasn't talking to the disciples, but they heard him. He was talking to the wind and the waves. And, and what happened? Immediately, you know, there, there was calm. There, there was peace. You know, our, our gracious God is in control of the circumstances around us. You know, but then I love this picture in, in Scripture. You know, just picture it in your, in your mind's eye with sanctified imagination. You know, this is King David saying this. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. And notice here it's a weaned child. You know, that, that's important to understand that, that word, to understand this verse. That's a child that no longer frets for what it used to find indispensable, writes Derek Kidner. Nursing mothers and their husbands, but mainly nursing mothers, can bear witness to the truth that weaning a child can be difficult. You don't have to raise your hand on this one. You know, one male Bible teacher... Couldn't find any female comments, but one male Bible teacher, Jim Boyce, a uh, certainly a credible, most credible scholar, writes this: Weaning is usually accompanied by resistance and struggle on the child's part, even by hot tears, angry, accusing glances, and fierce temper tantrums. You know, in other words, that, that child doesn't want to be weaned. 
you know, I'd much rather nurse. But David is helping us to learn that weaning can be a hardship for babies, mothers too. You know, and why would a loving mother inflict this quote-unquote pain, this hardship, upon her beloved child? Uh, Their loving goal is to wean their child from their mother's milk. You know, not right away, not right after birth, but it's, it's that time. You know, time for rice cereal, time to eat uh, some good gumbo or whatever it might be so that you would grow bigger, stronger. You know, here scripture plainly pictures, and this is striking, uh, here scripture plainly pictures God, one of the rare examples, our great God as a gentle mother. You know, hear this from Isaiah 66, verses 12 and 13, Isaiah 66. You know, the, only a few examples of this. It, it's not the norm, so it's, it's striking in its uniqueness. Isaiah 66, verse 12. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her, speaking of Jerusalem, like a river and the glory of the nations, like an overflowing stream, and you shall... Nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts. This is what the Lord says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You know, think too, another scriptural example. You know, Old Testament, you know, Hannah Baron Hannah prayed for a child. The Lord blessed her with Samuel. And what did Hannah do with Samuel? She, she dedicated him to, to temple service, dedicated him to the Lord. But what a scripture tells us, after he had been weaned. You know, it, it's hard for that nursing baby or, or for nursing young Christians to serve the Lord. You know, it's vital for us to be weaned, for us to be growing in our faith and trust in the Lord. You know, but but look again there at at Psalm 131, verse 2. You know, the child has been weaned, yes, but it's still content being near its mother. That contentment. Uh, of being in the Lord's presence. You know, that that contentment, you know, uh, of the Lord's gracious love for us in Christ. You know, God, our loving Heavenly Father, loves us infinitely more than our earthly mothers. You know, he feeds us with the solid food of of Scripture. We start with milk, but then he weans us so that we would feed upon the meat of his word. So that we would be growing in our grace and knowledge of his love for us in Christ. You know, a few years back, I can't remember what year, ask Roger or Gary, uh, our Thursday morning men's study 
read this book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Commend it to you for your reading, but it's, uh, it's rich, slow going, but great. Written by Jeremiah Burroughs, lived 1599 to 1646. He was a, a Puritan pastor in London, England. And in the opening pages, he writes this, you know, one sentence, that to be well-skilled in the mystery of Christian contentment is the duty, glory, and excellence of a Christian. One more time, that to be well-skilled in the mystery of Christian contentment is the duty, glory, and excellence of a Christian. When, when they use the word mystery... You know, it's the idea that which has been previously concealed is now revealed. You know, God graciously delights to show us uh, the, the blessing of Christian contentment. And, you know, we, we see that both Old and New Testament, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Philippians 4, verse 11 Apostle Paul writes in God's word, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned, you know, again that word learned, in every situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that, that's a contented heart, a heart that finds a contentment in Christ. You know, three vital components of Christian contentment, you know, based here on Psalm 131. If, if you are prayerfully desiring, hungering, to be content, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm discontent now. Circumstances, my, where I am spiritually, you know, how, how to learn contentment. First, persevering in prayer. You know, it, it's not just praying, but keep knocking. Persevering in prayer, e- even in our hardships. I believe that prayer includes private prayer. A family prayer, a joining with brothers and sisters in Christ for corporate prayer. You know, we do that on Wednesday nights here. Quick promo, 6.45 p.m. You know, think of Je- Jacob. You know, how, how does it describe, I believe, prayer? He was wrestling with God. You know, we, we persevere in prayer. To learn contentment. Secondly, regularly reading God's word. And regular, I I would say, once a day. Not saying when you have to read it or how much you have to read, but regularly reading God's word. You know, working your way through all, all of scripture. And why is that important? You know, as we read God's word, God uses, by the power of his Holy Spirit, those gracious promises to calm and quiet our soul. You know, the storm is raging around us and then within us. 
You know, and, and the Lord, in his mercy, will call to mind a verse of Scripture. You know, just like Jesus, peace be still. Third, last one, learning to praise our faithful Lord, even during days or seasons of hardship. You know, we don't praise God just because it's sunny weather, we're feeling well, got a little cash in our pocket. Kids seem to be behaving. You know, praising our faithful Lord for for who he is and for his love for us in Christ. I believe part of that contentment, too, is corporate worship. You know, when when we're alone, you know, it's like a, a soldier who is left alone on the battlefield. You know, we, we gather together for corporate worship, and the Lord strengthens us all in our walk of faith with Christ. One more quote from Burroughs, from the rare jewel of Christian contentment. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. You know, I'll I'll post that, you know, on our church Facebook page if you want to write it down. You know, learning, contentment, and, you know, here's the challenge in in God's word. We learn contentment by going through holy hardships. You know, God refines our faith so that we might come forth as gold for, for his glory and praise. You know, a godliness with contentment. You know, those two aren't antithetical. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. This verse came to mind uh, this morning, preparing. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. You know, contentment, not, not, not in our bank account, not in our IRAs, not in the value of our house. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Finally, there in, in Psalm 131, third verse, we are... Learning holy humility, contentment calls for holy humility. Learning holy hardship, contentment comes through holy hardship. Finally, we are learning holy hope. You know, contentment calls us to hope in the Lord. Look at that last verse. It it literally starts in the original with that word hope. In fact, it's a command. Hope, O Israel, in the Lord. You know, don't put your hope in anything else. Hope in the Lord. You know, there, there's true contentment, you know, when our hope is in the Lord. You know, we saw that in, in Psalm 130, verse 7. Hear it again, last week's text. 
Psalm 130, verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. We can hope in a God like that. Plentiful redemption for us as as sinners. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord's covenant faithfulness. Now from this time forth, from today and forevermore, for all eternity. You know, it's, it's really the hope of gospel contentment, you know, here in Psalm 131 and in all of Scripture. You know, here, 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. you know, there, there's contentment. Contentment not just for a Sunday morning when we're gathered in church. You know, not, not just for first thing Monday morning and next week, but from this time forth and forevermore. We have a taste of that contentment. But we'll we'll rejoice in that contentment for all eternity. You know, we've been singing, close with this illustration and application. We've been, I've been, I guess, pushing worship team Dirk a little bit to try to sing a psalm every week that that goes with uh, the psalm of ascent that we're studying and we sang one this morning I came across another one uh, written by Isaac Watts you know Isaac Watts I think he put all 150 psalms to to music and you can see uh the the bones of the psalm, but but he adds a layer to them as well. And this is uh, two verses from the hymn that he wrote about Psalm 131. I charge my thoughts, be humble still, and all my carriage mild. Content my father with thy will and quiet as a child. The patient soul, the lowly mind shall have a large reward. Let saints in sorrow lie resigned and trust a faithful Lord. You know, there's contentment, trusting in a faithful Lord. You know, a holy contentment in God alone. We, we will never find contentment apart from the Lord in God alone knowing that we are sinners saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone amen let's pray our father and our God um, thanks be to you
for this scriptural promise of contentment. Thank you, you give us not only the promise, but a path to learn contentment. Lord, forgive us, forgive me for my discontentment, grumbling, belly aching. Lord, in a world filled with great discontentment, despair, Lord, be pleased to use us as your beloved children, followers of Christ, those who are trusting in Christ for our salvation. Lord, may we show a holy contentment and speak of a holy contentment. May we share it, Lord. Open our eyes and ears so that we might see and hear those who are struggling with discontentment. And use us, Father, to to point them, to draw them by your grace to that glorious, gracious source of true contentment in Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.